Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community. Called to live, commanded to love, and commission to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, we have three core values for you here at FCBC. What are they, family? Live, love, serve. Live, love, serve. This movement we have begun last year, Be Human, uh, is critical. And this year, we're reminded it's bigger than you. Amen? Amen. And we thank God because the first Sunday of the year, we talked about courage, then self-doubt then sacrifice, then we talked about anger, then complacency, and then last Sunday we talked about joy, joy, and today we're going to talk about, well it's obvious, healing on this Hope Center Sunday, amen? I want to go to a familiar passage found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke 5, And I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Luke 5, 17 through 26. A familiar story. This is the word of God. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting near by. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on the bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their question, questions, questionings, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easy to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk. But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them with awe. God and and with all saying, we have seen strange things today. Let's pray. God, we bless your name. We honor you today, oh God. And we ask that you would continue to allow your word to do its own work today. 
We pray, O oh God, that your word would heal and deliver even now, O oh God. God, may the words that you declare on today in the collective meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you are strength. You are our rock. And you are our redeemer. And we say, amen. Amen. Remain standing. Let me read just a portion of that beginning at verse 17. One day while he was teaching, Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then some men came carrying a paralyzed man on the bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd they went up on the roof and led him down with his bed through the tiles in the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Amen. So put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise on today. You may take your seat. Oftentimes, we talk of all sorts of trauma in our capacity to recover from trauma or traumas that have been inflicted upon us. We think of those of us even here today who've been survivors of domestic violence, physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sexual assault, trauma. But very rarely do we think of trauma and think of church. Because as quiet as kept, we are able to speak of many traumas, but rarely do we give voice to religious trauma. It seems strange, paradoxical in some ways, that a place that ought to be a space of healing for far too many has become another space of trauma. We have a tendency to place false expectations on fragile people and expect wholeness and healing to be the byproduct. We who often stand as representatives of God, if we are honest, have also been guilty of inflicting trauma upon many who've already experienced brokenness. Only in our honesty and in our moments of clarity can we declare such words that we in some ways have been guilty of inflicting trauma upon damaged people. People who've come looking for bread, but instead we gave them stones because of our rigidity 
our lack of tolerance, our manipulative ways shrouded in religious language, our desire to control, legislate people's behavior, and oftentimes our desire to control and legislate behavior is connected to our own rabid insecurities that we have not gotten hold of yet. We tell people they ought to look this way, act this way, dress this way, talk this way, be this way. And oftentimes the hypocrisy lying in the midst of our declarations is that oftentimes the expectations we have of others we do not expect of ourselves. We use it as a measuring tool. We use religion as a litmus test. We use language that we assume shared meaning only to find out it is not the case we then heap again expectations upon people and again use this shrouded religious language with phrases like well are you saved have you been born again we use the language in such a way that we already assume that the people we engage with these conversations, leading with these words, are already operating in a state of lack. That means we don't approach them the fullness of their humanity, we approach them in the fullness of their perceived deficiency. And so we begin the relationship not believing in the best or seeing the best, we hope for the worst and hope that some way our presence and our shrewd words can somehow bring about a change in someone's life. Yes. Without understanding sometimes the expectations we set and the language we use has a tendency in some cases to push people into darker corners and create more pain because we have in our mind what people ought to look like, but then we're unwilling to journey with them along the way. Then we create rules fashioned by rituals. We ritualize the rules to then absolve ourselves of the obligation to enter a relationship. Well, I'm going to say that again. I know you missed that. We ritualize the rules in order to alleviate ourselves from the responsibility and obligation of entering a relationship with God because the relationship we entered with God often is a relationship that beckons us to journey to a place of discovery with God. And for a culture that is infatuated with certainty, journeying with a mysterious God to an unknown end and unknown mechanisms does not give us a sense of security. But even the security we get through ritualized ceremonies and ritualized rules is not really security. It gives the illusion of security because it gives the illusion of certainty that we use to mask our fear of the mystery of God. And so we become churchy and lose our spirituality. We become members. And sometimes we forget that we were once misfits. I know his physical ailment was obvious. But it wasn't the physical ailment that was the most egregious. What his physical body demonstrated may have been appalling to many and may have birthed 
sympathy and empathy from some, but that was not what was the worst. You see, the religion had said, if you had some physical affliction, it was because of sin that had been lurking generationally. And sin that had so co-opted your very being that the physical affliction was a consequence of deep residing sin. Can you imagine what it feels like to live your life believing that you are in a constant state of punishment? Perpetual punishment sometimes because of actions that were not even connected to you. And then on top of that, the guilt we feel, the shame we feel, the weight we feel, the hurt we feel, the burden we feel, because we believe we are the source of our own misery. And the church reinforces that. You are problematic. Therefore, you have been afflicted. You are sinful. Therefore, you have been afflicted. You are an abomination. Therefore, you have been afflicted. How many times has this twisted and warped theology damaged people who came looking for bread? How many times has this way of thinking wounded people who wanted to get close to God, God, but the God blockers were present? God blockers who know how to pray, who know how to sing, who know how to usher, who know how to play, but their addiction to ritualized rules and irrelevant ceremony and their ability to look down their nose without seeing themselves caused them to be God blockers. That's why sometimes in order to get the healing you need, you got to break through rules. Oh, you missed that. Because the blockers. I love this scene. Because Luke, Kendra, is the only version of this story found in Mark and Matthew that says prior to this scene opening that the power of healing was on him. Mark doesn't say it, Matthew doesn't say it, Luke says that the power of healing was on Jesus. And while the power of healing was on him, the blockers were around him. The religious leaders, the keepers of the law, the harbingers of routines that have lost meaning were around him. And the friends brought a man to him. They found a way to him, although the blockers were around Jesus. Y'all missed that. Because sometimes when the blockers are around, you got to come from above. I wish you could see that imagery today. And they break through the roof and they lower their friend down. and, 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 And they did not lower 
just a paralytic. They ruined, a, they lowered a man who had been ruined by religious trauma, who had been told he was afflicted because of sin or his parents' sin, that he was problematic, that he wasn't enough, that everything about him was a reminder of the hopelessness of his own humanity. But when they lowered him in, they lowered him in the presence of someone upon which healing had found a resting place. I'll be done in a few minutes. It said healing was on him. And they lowered the man in the presence of Jesus who had healing on him and the power of God to heal was upon him. And you see, that is why the story is confusing to the God blockers. Because God blockers can only see obvious affliction. They can't see deep pain. That's why they don't know how to talk to the damaged and walk with the wounded because all they can see is the obvious affliction but not the deeply entrenched wounds that hurt so many of us. And he did healing but it didn't look like it at first. They lower him down. He's on the bed. And Jesus's eyes that have not been tainted by hypocrisy nor conceit sees the source of his pain. It is not in the physical affliction. It is in the emotional damage. Can you imagine to live your life constantly believing not that you're punishment, but you are a punishment? You missed it. Not that you're punished, but you are a punishment. Everything you do is dripping with punishment. Every word you speak is shaped in punishment. You can't even fully see yourself because of the trauma. And here's the case. His trauma had been inflicted upon the religiosity of the people who claim to be close to God. But they didn't realize that they were simply God blockers. And so Jesus did what they had expected. But not really. Healing was upon him. Remember Luke said this. And what he does is an act of healing. But it ain't healing the obvious. It's healing the invisible. Because that is why so many, even in here right now, you suffer in silence because we can't see your affliction. We can't see the depth of the pain you deal with. You see, if you break your leg, you go to the hospital, they fix it. But if your soul is damaged, if your spirit has been wounded, where do you go for hope? When your heart has been broken and your mind has been manipulated, where do you go? for hope if it was a cut we could fix it but when your heart has been damaged and your spirit is groaning to live again where do you go for hope 
And so like any good doctor, Jesus dissects the situation. He makes the analysis. He sees what the real condition is. He makes, and then he wants to make and give a diagnosis and a prescription. Your sins have been forgiven. Oh, you see, I always imagine that when they lowered the man through, they lowered him and the man never saw who was around him because somehow the weight of trauma has a way of weighing down your head that you don't even look up and all you do is look down and look near you. You never look around for what may happen because you assume that nothing good can happen to you because trauma can weigh your soul and weigh your spirit and even weigh the way you see yourself. You don't see yourself for the possibility and the potential. You only see yourself through the lenses of your pain, your punishment, your brutality, and your woundedness but when he heard those words he didn't shout because he could walk he shouted because his soul had been set free your sins I know you think you're damaged because you're sinful. I know you think that you'll never be whole because you're sinful. I know you think that everything that's gone wrong in your life is because something is wrong with you. But today, I'm going to break the chains of your emotional captivity and your spiritual bondage. Today, I will release you from the assumption and the accusation and the belief that you are problematic. Your sins. been forgiven it was as if Jesus said you are enough you are well your physical affliction is not an indicator of your disposition or your spirit you're bigger than that and they didn't understand because it's amazing how many God blockers don't even know what healing really is. And what happened, I'll be done because we got to go. But, but what happened is the pressing of the God blockers unleashed the second phase of his deliverance. They're pressing. This is blasphemous. Who? Can forgive sins see later on he's going to tell his disciples that the power to forgive don't just rest with God because how can you ask God to forgive you you can't forgive your neighbor and the person who's next to you he unleashes the power of forgiveness and doesn't retain it only to God that each of us who've been damaged you've been wounded we all hold the power to forgive which means we hold the power to transform which means we hold the power to shift and to shape the atmosphere through the power of our love and our ability to forgive that each of us have the cosmic ability to say your sins But since y'all God blockers don't believe, because the first power was in my mouth, and you didn't want to receive that, the second power will still be in my mouth. Get up from your bed. Y'all miss this. The same words that set him free once, same mouth set him free again. Oh God, I wish I had time to unpack this today. But, but he said, your sins are forgiven, but because they don't believe I got power, to forgive he then asked them what's harder to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk but so that you know I got multiple ability dual power so that you'll know I don't just talk the talk but I can walk in the power so that you know he said 
rise and get up and pick up your mat and start walking. I imagine the conversation in end to the inflictors of religious trauma. I imagine in my own mind, Jesus looked at them and said, now what? Now what? Now what? You only believe when you see the power. But you don't believe when you see healing. And that's why so many folk come to church want to see power, but then left with, leave with no healing. You want to see acts of power, but you're still not healed. You want a miracle, but you're still not healed. So what if your arm can work better, but your soul is still crippled? Still. That is why what is done at the Hope Center is so important. Because a whole lot of people have been damaged by all sorts of abuses, including religious trauma, church trauma. Mean-spirited people lying about the love of God. Love they don't embody or embrace. They replace the love of God with pretentious judgmentalism. They replace the love of God with false piety. They replace the love of God with illusional and delusional expectations that are really shaped by their own feelings of inadequacy. And they forgot what love looks like. Love looks like telling someone you're okay. Love looks like journeying with someone through as they carve and create new paths of healing and innovation. Love looks like standing with people who often get overlooked and are uncounted. Love looks like offering free therapy to the community because we see it ain't just whether or not you got a place to live or food to eat. It's when your soul has been wounded. Love looks like the pastor saying, I don't know, but I do know a good therapist. Love looks like the ability to not think you got to be the catch-all, but you can also say, God called me to be a referral. Oh, God. To refer you to the places and spaces where you can get your healing. That's what love looks like. And that's why the work of the Hope Center is so important. I'll say this and I'm done. When we started the Hope Center, it didn't start as a Hope Center, it started with a part-time therapist, Joyce Johnson. He did an amazing job. Why? Because I got weary of trying to find places to send people for issues that were beyond my capability. A whole lot of clergy don't want to admit that. Because you got the name of pastor, don't mean you're a clinician. Because you got the title of pastor, don't mean you're the best therapist. And I got tired of sending people away from the building. And so we created a space, the Hope Center. This work that is done is done because we know how many people 
live wounded lives in silence, who suffer in silence, who deal with all sorts of trauma. I know there's a big stigma in our communities around mental health issues. Well, scratch it. We've been traumatized. And there are people are here right now who you don't know because they have beautiful masks. Because you don't see the deep-seated pain. They've invested great energy in making up themselves so you can't see them. But they still suffer. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, Support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.